This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. It's probably Tuesday, July 27th, the year of our Lord, 2021, wherever you're listening. I'm very excited. The show's doing great. I'm terrified because college football is changing beneath my feet. Let's just start it off like this. I want you to answer me. I may not hear you, but you can say it out loud unless you're around people, in which case just think it. Have you ever seen a week like this in your life? I don't care if you're 78 or you're the age of eight. Have you ever seen anything quite like this? We could debate whether the Texas-Oklahoma move to the SEC is the biggest story of the year or the decade or of all time. It's not quite that. But what I mean is how it seemingly came out of nowhere. One of the biggest stories easily in the history of the sport comes out of nowhere to the point where if I were to be on this podcast this time a week and a half ago and I made the prediction, you rightfully should have just stopped listening because I would have been so discredited and it would have been so out of left field, it wouldn't even make sense to continue listening to this. Well, hey, that goes to show you the point I always make about laughing at predictions. Normally, I'm talking about games, but predictions, don't ever just wholly discount them, no matter how crazy they are. If I tell you Alcorn State's beaten Ohio State in week four, even though they don't play them, don't just totally discount it. Write it down, and then after the Buckeyes are up 56-3 to at the half, then you can start laughing at me. But be very careful because those crazy predictions in sports, they may be crazy, but they're never impossible. Uh, So with that, I say welcome in. I cannot stress to you in strong enough terms our gratitude because of the wave that this podcast and the entire brand of Late Kick is riding. This sounds like a typo. I thought it was a typo the other day. It's not. Our audience has grown 40% in the last two months. In the middle of summer, it's grown 40%. We're outpacing anything we did last football season. We've had our first third and fifth highest viewed shows of all time this month on Late Kick Live. And the reason it makes me so happy is not just the numbers. The numbers are great, but as I've told you before, we could go out and we could pay thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to promote this and basically force it in front of a bunch of people and force impression our way to the top. We haven't done that. We haven't spent any money to promote the show. It's been totally you. So it is validation for us that not only have you accepted the show, but you've liked it so much that you've taken an active part in promoting it and being our marketing department. That's a beautiful thing. That is really, really hard to replicate. A lot of people wish they had the formula for that. Well, you know what? Masterclass in session, 10 seconds long. Get ready. Here's the formula. Talk with the audience every day about college football and wrap. I think we had some spare time there. So I yield back the balance of my time. You guys can go debate or talk politics like you tend to do on shows that are labeled college football, which has brought people over to this show. Hey, whatever. I appreciate it. So we've got a loaded mailbag this morning and I am sarcastic there, but I am very genuine in my appreciation. You don't even know. I was talking to a longtime buddy last night and we were kind of just chopping it back and forth about what it used to be like and what it is now. And man, oh man, I've kind of semi-told the stories on here one day, maybe at a speaking engagement, you know, maybe one day off platform, 
we get a group of us together and you just really hear what it used to be like. And you really hear the entire story arc of the first time anyone ever entrusted me to talk to a public audience versus where we're at now and then where we're going, who knows, but I feel really good about it. But that is for another time. This morning, we've got a jam-packed mailbag. There is no prayer I'm getting to all these. I want to say right off the top, I got thousands and thousands of emails or DMs about the Texas-Oklahoma situation. Obviously, I can't answer all of them. I've given my general thoughts on the Late Kick Live episode on Sunday night, so you listen to it if you listened on the podcast Monday. Obviously, there are several things going on right now. I'm about to discuss some of them, but I just wanted to say I appreciate the emails. Keep sending them by all means, but I cannot answer every single one of them, but I do see them. And there are just too many emails to get to in general on the pod this morning, but I'm getting to as many as possible. This is what it's supposed to be like. We should have a mailbag overflowing, so I appreciate that. So Robbie asks a question that I think a lot of you in some way are asking. So I'm just going to use Robbie. Robbie is speaking for the mob here. With the news that Oklahoma and Texas have reached out to the SEC, can you elaborate for us more recent college football fans why this is such a big deal? So to update you, as I'm sitting here recording on Tuesday morning, the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns, they have not only informed the Big Ten they are leaving, they have requested inclusion into the SEC. That's a formality. It's going to happen. So Robbie and everyone, why is this so big? I am very interested to ask this. I wish we were in a town hall and you could just raise your hand. And I could call on you over there, Jake, like, why do you think this is so big? And then Mary over in the corner, why do you think it's big? I think we would have some similarity, but maybe there would be some differences. Some of you just look at it and say, oh, this conference schedule is going to be tougher. Someone else says, well, I really don't like what this means for the future of North Dakota State football. So there are many different takes. But Robbie, here's what it really boils down to for me. This is a global event for college football, meaning it impacts the entire globe of college football. Here's the best way I can describe what is more than just a ripple effect. It's a massive effect on college football. Think about sometimes when you turn on the news, and I don't advise you do it, but if you ever turn on the news and you see on the bottom line there, Japan or the Philippines or Hawaii or the West Coast, they're under a tsunami warning. Well, what does that come from? What is that stemming from? It's not just a random wave decided to go attack the shoreline. More than likely, an earthquake has happened somewhere thousands of miles away, somewhere maybe one or two miles beneath the ocean surface, there's been an earthquake. Well, an earthquake out in the middle of nowhere under the Pacific Ocean in areas we may not have even explored yet, in and of itself, has nothing to do with you in Manhattan Beach, California. But its ripple effect or its tsunami effect does. And sometimes in college football, we get something that happens that in and of itself doesn't really matter to you. Whether Texas joins the SEC shouldn't impact West Virginia. But then when you realize Texas going to the SEC may dissolve the conference that West Virginia's in, which leads West Virginia to have to look for a new home, which leads to a complete scramble mode when it comes to budget and when it comes to future scheduling and when it comes to your coaching salaries and investments and facility enhancements. And then you times that by about 30 or 50. And you talk about some programs that have long since been included in the whole Power 5 discussion that now could be left out to dry, when you start talking in those terms, then you realize this is why it's such a big deal. It's not just the move in and of itself. It is the tsunami effect to the rest of the sport that happens because the move is made. Then you consider, since we're talking in terms of earthquake, the fact that there are about three earthquakes in college football going on simultaneous. We have the conference realignment, which in and of itself is the biggest story of any decade. But then you have NIL, which is the biggest story, one of, if not the biggest in the history of college sports, because it fundamentally changes how you define a college athlete. 
Then you also have the transfer portal. So you have free roam for players to go wherever they want to. Those are three huge earthquake generational type happenings in college football. And they're all happening in the same time period. They're all happening in the same calendar year. You could write entire novels or multiple novels about any one of these things. And they're all happening overlapping. And Robbie, that begs the following question. What does it look like five years, however long we have to go into the future for the proverbial dust to settle? A phrase I've used way too much this week, but I'm going to use it at least once more. How long until the dust settles? That's the first thing. And then secondly, what does the landscape look like? Because it makes no sense to me to try and forecast and try and make all these cool looking graphics of which team's going to be where. That makes no sense when the earthquake's still happening. There's no skill in doing that, but eventually the dust is going to settle. And eventually, whatever a new normal for this sport is, will be. What's it going to look like? Are we going to like the product? Are we going to be pleasantly surprised? Are we going to be extremely discouraged? Are we going to long for the good old days? And by good old days, I mean 2017, which in and of itself sounds weird. But hey, good old days might as well be 2019. That's how recently we had the last quote-unquote normal year of college football. So Robbie, that's why it's such a big deal. And that's why many programs that aren't involved in moving to a new conference or being in the conference that these teams are moving to are watching this with both eyeballs because they know it impacts them eventually. They are downstream of this move in some shape, form, or fashion eventually. I've got more on Texas OU coming up. Don't you worry. So Jesse's next up. And Jesse has given me permission to tell a story. And this is a good one. So the other night on Late Kick Live, we did a segment about October 9th this year. It's, I think, week six. And I certainly think it's the biggest week for this season in college football. Off the top of my head, you got Georgia-Auburn playing that day. Notre Dame goes to Virginia Tech. Uh, I think South Carolina and Tennessee is fascinating regionally, only because it's a couple of first-year coaches. you got Arkansas-Ole Miss that day. Uh, there are a couple of other games on the undercard. But then the main events, that's the day that Alabama goes to Texas A&M. That's the same day Oklahoma plays Texas. It's the same day Utah goes to USC. Pac-12 South may be on the line at that point. And... If that's not enough, you got Penn State going to Iowa up in the Big Ten. It's a massive day for college football. So I did a segment, and not that I ever believe in fall Saturday weddings, but I said if you have a wedding in the fall that you're having to attend, you may have to suck it up. I've had to do it one time or two times in my life, and it's brutal. It's torturous. It is just not good life planning or decision making to have fall weddings on Saturdays. Now, you have a Thursday courthouse event. I'm all for it. People who get married on weekdays or people who just take it to the courthouse, those people are saints. They are living, breathing angels, and I wish them all the success. I haven't seen the metrics, but I'm pretty sure statistically marriages that happen on weekdays or just at the courthouse have like a 38% higher success rate. I can't prove that, but I'm willing to just baselessly claim it. So anyway, back to the story. Jesse is telling me, I realized when I watched that segment, not only was I in a wedding, but it's on October 9th of this year. I had several of you come to that realization. There was like a death gong in the back of your head when you looked at the calendar and you said, wait a second. And so Jesse doesn't stop there. He goes on to hop in his group text with all the people that are in this wedding. I think it may have been family, actually. And they just go to war with each other. It was great. As an innocent bystander, it was great to watch. So I had my popcorn. They had the knife emojis, and there were all kinds of things being said back and forth. And so Jesse comes to me mid-argument and sends me some personal and highly confidential family group text screenshots. Allow me to share. The dad drops the hammer. He just says, I'm out of the wedding. 
And then someone else says, this is why I'm a firm believer in no-fall weddings. And then someone else comes in trying to defend this incalculably bad decision by saying, that's why we're getting married at 3 o'clock, so that the ceremony will be over and your projector screen will be up by 3.30 for kickoff. Yeah, like we don't kick off games before 3.30. I'm sorry, I didn't know this wedding was happening in Iceland, ma'am. Anyway, we continue. An unnamed person chimes in. So how long is this ceremony going to be? 15 minutes? And then the defender of the wedding comes back. I mean, probably, if that. We all know that's a lie, by the way. I hope everyone in this group text and everyone associated with this conversation who may be on the fence knows there is no wedding you're being drugged to in the middle of a Saturday afternoon in the fall that's going to last 15 minutes. None. At all. Period. They have paid so much money for any venue because it's in such high demand because we live in a sick society of people who choose to get married on Saturdays in the fall that you got to pay a pretty penny to even reserve one. No one reserves a wedding venue for 15 minutes that time of year. That's bait. Do not take it. You're going to have the hook in your cheek and you're going to be there at 430 and you're going to be there at 445 and then 450. Everyone smiles and you better smile too or else people are criticizing you from your girlfriend, your family to random friends you don't even know the last name of two days later saying, you know, you were kind of selfish. And then they drop this. Mimi, Mimi of all people, hops in the text message in all caps, mind you. And she drops the statement that is just a non-starter for me. This is on the no-fly list. If you see this, shoot it down immediately. She says, football happens every year. They're getting married only once. And at that point, Jesse came to me and he was smart to do so. And he said, I've tried your approach. I've tried to reason with these people. They will not be reasoned with. What should I say? And I went with my go-to line. And I told Jesse, feel free to copy and paste it. So friends, anyone out there listening who's in a similar predicament, you have anyone come to you and dare you to skip their wedding or not be excited about their wedding, here's all you tell them. And then you're going to drop the mic and you're going to walk away because at this point, the debate is over whether they know it or not. You look them in the eye and you tell them, I'm not the one making the mistake here. You've made the mistake of thinking your wedding is as important to the rest of us as it is to you. That's the sound of the mic. That's the sound of you walking away. That's it. The end. That's all that needs to be said. So, Jesse, I can see the audience right now. We have a majority head bobbing, which means majority approval of the tact that we have chosen to go with. We pray for you. We're in this together. Don't you ever forget that. But if October 5th rolls around and we still haven't solved this predicament, Remember the one formula that has worked and will until the end of time. Two words, bomb threat. I, I have to be honest with you. I think that's one of the most powerful PSAs that we have ever delivered together on this podcast. We move on now. Clayton, up next. If Oklahoma and Texas do go to the SEC West, along with Missouri and Bama and Auburn to the East, how would it affect the momentum of the recruiting talent exodus from Texas that you have mentioned? Clayton, I don't know. I don't know how the divisions are going to shake out, but I do want to touch on this whole Texas recruiting thing. I'm not going to say myth. It's not a myth. It's a fact that Texas has not been able to lock down as much in-state talent as they want to. I think it is largely a myth that it's been because they have a Big 12 sticker on their helmet. And the reason that I think it's not because of that, and the reason I don't think that their recruiting problems are all just going to be magically solved by joining the SEC, is because I've watched what Ohio State's done. Ohio State is not in Texas, nor are they in the SEC, but yet they have freely walked into Texas for years and taken a lot of huge in-state talent. So my question is, what is the real limiting factor here? I think the real limiting factor is Texas has just not been an attractive enough product for enough kids. They've gotten good classes. It's not like they've been recruiting in the 30s. They've gotten good classes, 
but it hasn't been to the point where a Jeffrey Okuda looks at Ohio State and looks at Texas and says, nope, I'm staying home, man. I'm going to play for the Horns. It hasn't been to that degree. I don't think it has to do so much with the Big 12 sticker as I think it's had to do with the Longhorn, not the logo turning people off. I mean, the product, the overall program and the state thereof at the time, I think that's what's turned kids off. So the answer to this is not the SEC. The answer is Steve Sarkeesian. If Steve Sarkeesian is everything we hope he is, and believe me, I'm pulling for Texas to be good again and be great again, actually. If he is what we think he could be and what we hope he will be, all of this stuff will look like it got solved by going to the SEC. It will really have been solved by Steve Sarkeesian resurrecting the program and taking it from good to great. That's it. It's that easy and it's that difficult. Which That also reminds me, before I move on here, I had some Texas fans reach out and claim I was hating on the program the other night. And I wasn't, of course, because I don't hate Texas. However, I went back and listened to the show. And I will admit, if it was the first time that I had ever watched one of my shows or listened to one of my shows, it would have sounded like I had some spite or hate in my heart for Texas. And it was really sarcasm. It wasn't that. And I was really just trying to be animated in a couple of points. But if you're a Texas fan out there and you took it that way, I do have a statement to read. So hold on. All right, here's my statement. I state my regret. Okay, with that out of the way, we move on. Gage is up next. He said, my question is, what are your thoughts on the culture that Oregon football and Mario Cristobal have built? Do you think Oregon is flying under the radar as a casual fan down south? What do you think the ceiling and floor are for this program the next five years? Well, Gage, I think that has changed rapidly, hasn't it? You got to tell me what the Pac-12 is over the next five years before I can tell you what Oregon's ceiling or floor is. And you also got to tell me if they're going to be in the Pac-12 or what is the Pac-12 even going to be called? Are they going to merge with someone? Are they going to dissolve entirely? Are they just going to be freestanding as they are at the moment? I don't know. Now, my general take, and we can only go on what current reality is, my take is the ceiling there is a national championship. I mean, if they keep building the way they're building, especially along the lines of scrimmage, to go along with the perimeter skill talent they've amassed up there and they are in no position to slow down, I think the, well, the first question will be obviously with the conference thing. The second question will be, does Ty Thompson answer the long-term question for him at quarterback? And do they keep bringing in quarterback cycle after cycle? And then the third question is, yeah, do they build that championship caliber depth along the lines of scrimmage, which I think they're well on their way to doing. I've been so impressed with what Oregon's been doing. I think NIL is obviously right in their wheelhouse. So their ceiling is national championship. The floor doesn't so much have to do with whether they choke away games or the coaching staff isn't what it's cracked up to be. It's all about this conference realignment stuff. It's changed the answer to every question along these lines. And my biggest fear, if I were an Oregon fan, my biggest fear would be, what if the future of our program is changing for the worse and it's through no fault of our own, and there's nothing that we can do. We're powerless to change it. That would be my worst fear. Now, in reality, Oregon's always going to have a home. Oregon's going to have a seat at the head table. But, you know, you could be talking about the difference between having a seat at what is currently the Pac-12 table versus having a seat at some kind of merged version of the Pac-12 Big 12 where you become like the West Coast version of West Virginia and every one of your road games is at least a 1,000 miles away. And that wouldn't be ideal, but it may be reality. So I don't know. I don't. When I say worry about it, it really wastes your time to worry about it because you can't do anything about it. But I would be concerned about it. If I were concerned, that's what would have me concerned. As for what Oregon can control, uh, they are operating at about as high a level as we've seen them operate. And that includes the Chip Kelly era. They have not played for a national championship under Cristobal, but they are building 
an even more impressive talent roster than obviously Chip Kelly ever did or Mark Helfrich did. And so I like where they're headed. They just have to keep heading that way and have firm footing with which to keep heading that way. All right, let's roll on. Jason has a very interesting observation slash question here. It's about Kevin Warren. It's about what went down in the Big Ten last year. And it's about how we should view Kevin Warren and how we should discuss him and treat him moving forward. And we shall discuss indeed right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So here's what Jason said. Jason said, I think we need to lay off Kevin Warren. For those unfamiliar, that is the Big Ten commissioner. He says, I get that he's made mistakes. To be frank, it was a disaster in the Big Ten last year. I get that. I'm not saying he did it right, but I'm just giving them a pass due to the unknown nature of what we dealt with in the last year. I don't think Kevin Warren was trying to hurt the Big Ten. I think he legitimately believed what he did was best for the conference. So I give him a pass because none of us really knew how to deal with that situation. I believe the true test for Kevin Warren's leadership is going to show here in how he responds to the SEC going with Oklahoma and Texas. Can he swoop in and position the Big Ten into a situation where they can survive as a conference and not allow the SEC to get too far ahead? What are your thoughts? All right, so it's important because I know we have a lot of new listeners and maybe you weren't paying attention so much because, oh, I don't know, a huge pandemic was going on that impacted your life last year. So maybe you weren't paying attention. Here's how it went down uh, broad strokes, 15-second version. The Big Ten announces their league schedule, and then the same week, they abruptly just announce we're postponing the season. There will be no revisiting this. It's final. And they expected the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC and the Pac-12 to all follow. The Pac-12 did because they're attached at the hip. The rest of the conferences said, no, nah, we're cool. We'll make our own decision. That was the first hiccup in the whole plan up there. Then the second hiccup was when they floated out some quote about myocarditis being the contributing factor to why they wanted to cancel the season. And then other doctors stepped forward and said, actually, the science and data you're using is totally flawed. And one of them even, I think, was with the University of Michigan when he said it. And so then you have a second hiccup. And then no one from the league office for like 10 or 11 days offers anything in terms of a substantive rebuttal. Things got very suspect on how procedurally they went about canceling the season as opposed to how the Big Ten bylaws say they're supposed to cancel it. And this was not Kevin Warren. Kevin Warren was acting at the behest of presidents and chancellors in the Big Ten. It's no different than Roger Goodell and the invisible, silent league owners in the NFL. So a ton of blame to go around here. Well, what quickly became apparent is these people, I mean, it was a pure ivory tower crowd. It was a bow tie ascot kind of crowd. Make no mistake, because they did not expect an ounce of pushback. These people actually expected to postpone the season, not give you or the players, for that matter, legitimate reason why. 
And they expected you to just deal with it because they thought the rest of the country was going to follow along. They thought the rest of the conferences were going to follow along. Well, they didn't. Now, if you would have had substantive reasoning that you would have brought to the forefront, if you had medical evidence that you would have brought to the forefront, people would have had to shut up. But that was the entire takeaway. That was my takeaway over and over again on Late Kick. They kept citing this critical medical evidence that they claimed removed any doubt. It was incontrovertible that they had to make the decision they made. But then when the public asked for the evidence, they didn't bring it to the forefront. Now, that makes no sense. If you have this evidence medically that is so pressing and so damning, well, at that point, shouldn't you be rushing to the nearest microphone and the nearest press conference to inform the public of what you know? They didn't have it. That was what it boiled down to. They didn't have it. And so then they float myocarditis out there. And then doctors from all across the country refute that. And then the SEC says, no, nah, we're playing. And the ACC and the Big 12 do too. And they didn't do it recklessly. They did it responsibly. Did you notice how the seasons played out? Did you notice how many games they got in in those conferences? Did you notice they were able to have conference championships? They were able to safely conduct business. And then the Big 10 announces, we may revisit this. And then they revisit it. And then they announce, we are going to start our season. It's going to be delayed. We're going to have conference-only games. We're going to have empty stadiums. But we're going to reverse our decision that we said was non-reversible, and we're going to have a season. Okay, so Jason, that's the point we're at, and we remember how the rest played out. Now look, even though it was botched horribly, at this point in time, you could look back and you could say, well, in retrospect, maybe none of us would have handled it any better. That's fair. I would argue that, but that's fair if you want to have that stance. So to this point, we agree. Up until last week, when Kevin Warren steps to the podium at Big Ten Media Days and then goes on Big Ten Network and with a straight face says, if they had it to do all over again, they'd handle it the exact same way. This is with all the facts this is with the benefit of hindsight. They get to look back and see how it all happened. And the man says we'd handle it the exact same way. No, Jason, I don't give him a pass. That is a clownish thing to say. And it's evidence of very poor leadership to not be able to admit when you were wrong. And that's the past. We can't change the past. But now, Jason, what you said is very true. The next big test, not the first, the next big test and the biggest one of all for Kevin Warren will be how he handles conference realignment because that's it. It is sink or swim time. Not that the Big Ten would disappear, but the Big Ten is not looking to merely survive. The Big Ten's looking to match the SEC step for step. Well, you cannot do that unless you also take bold action in the very near future. If that means adding teams, if that means going and poaching teams, if that means uh, combining with other conferences, you got to do what you got to do. Here's the question. Who's actually going to be guiding the ship in the Big Ten? I don't think this is a room Kevin Warren is ready to walk into and negotiate on equal footing with other power players. I don't think that at all. And so I wonder how the Big Ten is going to go about this with the memory fresh in our mind of what happened the last time these people tried to collectively tackle a major task. That is, Jason, the million dollar question. You are right about that. Let's move on here. I had an interesting question. I'm going to keep the name anonymous, but it was essentially someone asking about public speaking. This is someone who has to speak publicly. And they were asking, in terms of how you present yourself on the show and engage with others, is that something you worked on? Can you share some pointers there? Are there any books or are there any techniques that you've used for refining yourself in social presence? This is an important question because a lot of you have to do this. A lot of you are in college and you'll have to take a public speaking course. But there are many of you who are terrified of public speaking. And there are many of you who aren't terrified but are still very uncomfortable 
being in public and being in front of a crowd. Here's what I learned early about myself. I had no problem being in front of a crowd. No problem whatsoever. However, I think I have borderline social anxiety. I don't know that I am qualified to diagnose that. I've never had it diagnosed. I'm not comfortable at all in a normal social setting. I'm talking about if we're at a party or we're at a get-together, we're over at someone's house, I look normal, I can act normal. I'm not saying I'm over in the corner curled up in the fetal position most of the time, but I am not comfortable in those settings. If you're at a party with me, you're a lot more likely to see me over in a corner pulling someone aside, trying to talk to him, running out the clock before it's time to go home, than you are seeing me being the center of conversation in the middle of the room. That makes me very uncomfortable. I don't know why, but it does. But when I have an audience and I'm speaking to the audience or with the audience, if I'm on a stage or if I'm on set, it doesn't impact me at all. Now, I've never had anyone able to explain that to me because it seems like it should be the total opposite. Most people are totally comfortable being in a social setting and they're petrified to be on the stage or be on air or be in front of a live microphone or camera. That's what scares them. So I guess that's normal and I'm not normal and that's the way that is. But I'll tell you the biggest skill, if you're going down any path that is going to have you speaking with an audience, and I use the word with intentionally, I'll tell you why in just a second. But if you're talking about performing, if you're talking about uh, delivering speeches, public speaking, if you have your own show or your own podcast, here's the key. It is the easiest thing in the world to talk. If you have working vocal cords and you can open your mouth and you have somewhat mastered any kind of language, you can talk. Talking is not hard. And it's not hard to talk at someone. That's where most people stop. Even if you listen to shows, even if you go listen to a lot of people who would call themselves a host and who would call themselves communicators, because this is all communication at the end of the day, they talk at an audience. Well, that's not skill. That's just what I said. It's talking at an audience. And that is what has been the huge paradigm shift, not to get too deep in the weeds, but you've noticed this. I know you guys have noticed it because a lot of you, when we talk, you bring it up. You voluntarily bring it up. And what you say, I had someone yesterday say this to me. I got so tired of people yelling at me on TV or people kind of wagging their finger at me and pointing at me and kind of talking at me. And that's the key. That's what the industry became. That's what the sports media industry became for quite a while. It was people who knew there were a precious lack of options out there. So you either had to go to them or there were no other options. And so they could afford to act however they wanted to. And they chose to talk at you. And the key is not talking at anyone. The key is talking with. The key is making this thing sound like we're eating lunch together. The key is making it feel like we're in hour seven of a road trip. And you and I are in the front seat on I-40 headed through Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we're just talking. That's all it is. It's talking with. That's all communication with an audience should be. It's participatory. It is talking with. And that's the key, whether you're on stage or whether you're giving a public speech in a classroom or whether you're hosting a podcast or doing a talk show. Can you learn to talk with people instead of talking at them? And then obviously the follow-up there, is it's easy to talk with someone or it's easy enough to talk with someone if you're in the gym working out or if you're out at a steakhouse somewhere and they're sitting two feet away from you and you're face to face. How do you talk with someone when all you have in front of you is a microphone like I have right now? I am talking in a microphone and there is not a soul in this room. Same way in the studio when we do late kick. There's no one else in there. Director Collins in the other room. I don't have a soul in there. It's me by myself. Well, the trick is don't talk to the camera. 
You just talk through the camera. I'm not talking to this microphone. I'm talking through this microphone. You have to reach through it. You have to look through the camera lens. You have to replace that camera lens with the viewer. You have to replace the microphone with the listener. This is just some device that has to be in front of you. But your audience, figuratively, that's who's there. And if you start thinking like that, I found it really changed the way that I delivered. You start speaking in we versus me terminology. And there are a lot of other subtleties that you can read about in terms of public speaking. But if you just master that concept, if you can get that out of the way, then you start learning about techniques and all this stuff. But speaking with instead of speaking to, I think that's probably the biggest key. We wrap up here. Let me remind you something. There are things coming. I know I've said this for two months. I promise you these announcements are very soon to come. You're going to love them. But I encourage you, I have seen a really big surge in subscriptions to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. But the social channels, which I'm really trying to build right now, Twitter and Instagram, at Josh. I've really seen the surge there. And I've noticed it. I appreciate it. Let's continue to build those. Those are so imperative for many reasons now and in the future. Those are imperative. Let's continue to build those. And especially on the Instagram side, again, when I am on the road this fall, you are really going to love how we leverage that platform. So thank you for that. Also, the five-star reviews. We're headed for 2,000 five-star reviews on the podcast. This thing is surging. I told you the story last week. We didn't even really focus on it to begin with, but now we very much are. Uh, We're in the top 10 on the college football charts and the football charts in general. I didn't know this until last week. So thank you for that. Please continue the momentum. Bring five friends with you, and we'll continue to roll them out every single day for you. Until then, for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Payton. Have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. I told you imaginary friends are real. This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.